understand what your strengths are and what you're, what you're not so strong at. I am pretty damn good at identifying, finding talent. I'm pretty damn good at being a visionary. I'm pretty damn good at being able to explain security. I'm really pretty sucky when it comes to living with detail. From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face, and how they overcome them. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to hear our new episodes first. I'm Steve Moore, and on the first of what will be a two-part conversation, I speak with Steve Katz, unofficially the first CISO, about how he's seen cybersecurity grow in scope from the early 80s to where we are today. How do you secure a business when the concept of cybersecurity is still in its infancy, not just in your organization, but in general? How do you stand up to the old school boys club bankers and say, this might be an unpopular move and people might not understand the why behind your new policies, but someone's got to do it? And I think one thing you spoke about earlier when I talked to CISO wannabes or new CISOs, it is okay. Once we get over, why do you want to do this? You get some really strange answers. Then we come up to, why does your company have a security program? Which is the question you ask. And more often than not, you don't hear, it's necessary for the business. The business has a mission of blank, blank, blank. When I took over, started the program at Dead uh, City, our first awareness effort was uh, actually a VHS tape. And John Reed, the CEO, said, uh, City has two products, money and trust. If you can't sell the trust, you can't sell the money. Wow. So now we figured out that way. You're part of a business. Do you know how your bit, your company makes money? And again, you get to off some wide-eyed stairs. Right. What are the products and services your company offers? Who are the business leaders in your company? What are they like? In the world of LinkedIn and Google, you can find out an awful lot. And what is your marketing plan for yourself within your company so that these business leaders get to know you? I like that. So you're talking about how are they going to evangelize what they're doing to the rest of the company? How, that's, I don't know that uh, I've heard it referenced. You know, what is your marketing plan? What, what are some of the components of a, of a new CISO's marketing plan? You know, maybe a, how would you structure that if you were developing an outline for it? First of all, thinking out, you know, who you want to talk to, what product and services they're offering, and what do you bring to the table if you want to talk to them? Why did XYZ company hire you? And if you take, if you take some time to understand the product or service that the business leader is providing, here are some of the things that you can provide to help that. And does he or she agree? That's a good, <laughs> that's a, a good point. Do they agree? Do they see it through the same lens? And if not, maybe both of you have to change your glasses. Mm. I accidentally fell into some of this at one point in my career. The company I was working with had a, a big problem. And out of that, it was more difficult to sell. We were getting pushback from, from the people that would purchase from us. And 
I ended up accidentally figuring out who was in charge of sales. I never had a relationship with those folks. And the VP of sales, basically the VP of making money, and I kind of became friends. And he had a deal that was stuck and they had security questions and I helped out. And the next thing I know, he said, hey, would you come down to a QBR and, and, and uh, talk 15 minutes on security? Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what the hell a QBR was. I didn't know what it was. I said, what's a QBR? And it was their quarterly business review. And it's, they also invited me then to what, something called an SKO, which was their sales kickoff. You know this. And, and um, I, you know, I didn't know what the hell to tell them. They were getting battered out, out in public by these people not wanting to do deals. And so I, I just told them, I said, hey, I'm going to give you one thing. So post-breach, I'm going to give you one thing that you can pull on a snippet that you can use in the field and say, this is one thing that we do that distinguishes us from our industry peers mm-hmm. as it relates to security. And I said, anything else, any other questions, bring it to me. But I want you to have this confident statement. And, and I wrote it out for them. You know? so, and after that, the world changed. It changed for the better. The sales team brought uh, several deals in and would actually bring them the, the prospects in and we would do a tour. And the lesson I learned from that and the the lesson I want your perspective on, if you'd share it, is people talk about having a business relevant security program. And to my ignorant self, I then became fairly relevant because the things that we did as a team mattered to the sales team and they helped get deals done. And I fumbled into that, but it was one of the greatest lessons I ever learned in security. Tell me, what are your thoughts on that? Or do you have, I'm sure you have a ton to add to that. What, what lesson do you take from that? One thing that's kind of interesting, I've asked folks, CISOs as well, does your company have a mission statement? Hmm. Fairly simple question, right? Yeah. Uh, half the time I get, I don't, I, I don't know. The other half is sort of, yeah, I think I read it once when I started here. So my viewers go back. And read and understand the mission statement because it's usually no more than one or two sentences. And then figure out how you tie your mission to the company's mission statement. So you have a, you then have a, a principle that is God mothered apple pie and country. It's foundational. Here's why we are here. And here's why it's important. And here's how we help fulfill the mission of the company that we're a part of. So I think there's two things there though. So one, people don't read their mission statement of the company that they join for whatever reason. Uh, maybe they're not. Maybe they don't feel that connected to the company, which is a, a maybe a bigger issue. But then something you said, and I could be wrong, but you are saying that I believe the CISO and their team should have their own mission statement, and I don't think many do. And it needs to be tied to the corporate mission statement. Yeah, I don't think many do, Steve. I mean, I. I haven't directly asked that, but I haven't had it come up in conversation. Um, I'm going to start asking. Do from your experience, I mean, maybe the, your mentees do now, but I mean, in general, do you think most security programs have a mission statement? A couple of things I did early on at City. One was we needed a mission statement, and the other is uh, I turned to the people I had and I said, "I want us to come up with five to ten principles, not policies, not standards." bedrock principles for the security program that no one could disagree with. And it took a while. And I wish I could dig out the thing, but I think we had something like eight 
very bedrock principles. And you're able to derive your policies from the principles. And then you're able to derive standards from the policies. And then the practices, we said, look, we have lots of different businesses. As long as the practices that each business comes up with, you know, on their own, meet the standards we put in place, we're okay. The businesses have the autonomy to develop their own practices. We're not doing that for them. As long as those practices are consistent with the standards that we put in place and with the policies that we put in place. So the businesses maintain autonomy, or the technology areas maintain autonomy, and they were happy about that. And uh, the principles were something that the, uh, the board could understand, and they were very happy with it. And they didn't have to get into uh, standards, because it was irrelevant. Right. The policies. Uh, they had the principles as a bedrock, and business and uh, the CIOs within each line of business could sit back and say, "Okay, I now have the flexibility to put together a set of practices that meet the standards, and I'm not being forced to doing something that I really don't, you know, don't feel I have to do." Right. That exercise again. I mean, I think that's a, a great. I mean, think of a new maybe a new security team or maybe a new director or a new CISO. I think that exercise, if you were, if they didn't have any budget, right? Let's say, let's see, I'm, I'm, I'm someplace and I have no security budget or, or that's a different issue, but I'm forced to, to find work that provides clarity. I like the mission statement, tie it, you know, have your own, tie it to the companies, but then the development of these principles, I think that's a great mental exercise. What, what's an example a generic example of, or maybe if you remember one of your seven or eight principles, what's an example of one? Delivering on our trust commitment to all of our clients. Yeah, deliver on trust. And then if you find something out there that someone's infringing on that, that would erode trust or impinge you from delivering trust, that can be a, a very human conversation you can have and say, look, this is this is why this is an issue. This has the chance to erode the trust in our in our services, if, if this were to, if this flaw were to be exploited, if this behavior were allowed to continue, that kind of thing. Interesting. One of the things we did, and I mentioned earlier, I, I put together something I called security in a nutshell. I think, I, and it is, uh, I mentioned this when I talked to you about the uh, dealing with the uh, after effects of the hack at city. Yeah. And it was, do you care about who you're talking to? Once you know who they're talking to, do you care about what they're doing? Uh, do you care about signed receipts for transaction? Do you care about privacy and confidentiality? Do you care about integrity? And is this a problem? Do you, uh, do you want to know about it and how soon? And every one of our meetings would be, okay, I'm now talking about issue one. Do you care about who you're talking to? And here's how we could go about doing that. And then next time we go in and say, okay, once we've learned about Talk about, you know, now we're going to talk about item number two. How do we control what they do? And this, this was business relevance to all of that. And they were happy with it. And there's, there's a bigger piece to this when we spoke that I think is historically interesting. So you joined a company. They had had, so they had had a problem. You're now the CISO. So the board and risk committee said, hey, we want a world-class organization. You're the new CISO. And part of your job was to go through and meet with the top 20 banking customers, 
talk about that. Like there was, so these questions are part of that, I believe, but there's a problem in front of you as a new leader and the odds were against you in having success. So to share about that, if you would. I was really given, when I came in and I was hired, I was given uh, two directives. Again, I reported two down from the uh, CEO. Uh, it was the first time the uh, CISO title was ever used. And I was charged with build, go build a world-class information security organization. You have a blank check, just go do it. And the second was the hack was into the international funds transfer system. And it was go meet with our top 20 customers and see if you can just limit the hemorrhage of, of customers. Well, they were global, so I lived on a plane for the uh, next couple of months. Uh, and that was fine. So I went through those six questions and I said, here's how City is answering these questions today. And here's how City will be asking these questions six months from today. And here's why, why the, why the change is made. And here's the impact of those changes. And with each one, I said, you know, let's go over why it's important and why we're making those changes. And do you have any questions? What we did after that is say, now that you have this, I would like you to do, you know, and well, then they all said, look, here's my business phone number. Here's my home phone number. Here's my pager number. If you have any questions, please call me. And then they left them with, I really urge you to do two things. Find out how you are answering these questions within your company. Go out to your other banks and ask them how they are answering these questions. And Steve, to put further context to this, you're in damage control mode. You're, I'm guessing the risk committee, the board, there's been this problem. You've made it public. You're out sharing this new message. They're expecting there to be political capital lost as a result of this. So you deliver this message. You're living on an airplane and then you close, seemingly your closing statement is, hey, here's how to get a hold of me. But one more thing. Right. One more thing. Ask these two questions internally and externally. Mm -hmm. What was everyone expecting? Were they expecting Steve to come back a battered man with with uh, beaten up by by these banking customers? I think they probably stopped at every house of worship they passed on the way to work, <laughs> lit candles, and hoped that uh, we wouldn't get beaten up too badly. And if we had a fifty percent attrition, that would have been acceptable. So before you give the attrition rate, talk to me, the, the questions I like, the two questions you left them, why did you ask those two questions? How did you at the time formulate? I want to know the why behind them. You've given them homework. Explore that. Once they begin to look at it, we now have involvement hmm. and understanding. They're now part of the solution. Got it. Then again, business relevance. So what? Right, right. So they go out and you seemingly flipped this to say, hey, we've had an issue. This is the way we managed this integrity and privacy and transaction and all of this, right? The, the transaction security, the receipts of it, all of it. We're making a change because of this problem. Now I want you to go ask really our competition how they do it, or the other banks at least. Mm -hmm. Maybe not. Exactly right. 
And so they have done this. And I wonder how many of them actually went and asked those questions of, of this group. Virtually all of them. And virtually all of them got back to me within, within a month of saying, the other bank said they can't talk about it. It's security. <laughs> and I said, you are a customer. You have a right to know how they are protecting your information. So, so then what happens? We didn't lose a customer. You didn't lose a customer. And that was a product of, I would say, hitting the problem head on. I think asking relevant questions, but also you mentioned the involvement, which I think starting with me, but many others, we sometimes lack that. We, we lack the creativity to put the problem into some place they can be involved with, right? And they did their own education. So they all stayed with you. So then, so then what were things like? So you, you've succeeded. Now what? Now we took, we said, here's how we want to answer these questions in six months. Now we had, had to go ahead and do it. What was that program rollout like? Was that more procedural or so was it process or was it tech or both? It was primarily uh, tactical and operational. But again, yeah. nothing helps you succeed more than having the support of the CEO and, and, and the risk committee as well. Right. Right. How, how does one, I mean, you had, I guess the, the, the silver lining of that, of that problem was that you had their attention, right? I mean, they, early on, they said, Hey, um, we, we know we have an issue because we've, and, and you're saddled with, with managing it. So that was the one thing that might've been in your favor. That was the big thing in my favor. The other thing is, and I think it's a lesson for every CISO, Understand what your strengths are and what you're, what you're not so strong at. I am pretty damn good at identifying, finding talent. I'm pretty damn good at being a visionary. I'm pretty damn good at being able to explain security. I'm really pretty sucky when it comes to living with detail. <laughs> okay. So we've, we know your strengths and we know some of your weakness. So you're not good at detail uh, as a CISO. Then what? I hired a guy who became my right hand and often my right hand and left hand, who was, if you look at a typical organization, I was a CEO and chief marketing officer. He was the world's greatest chief operating officer. Got it. He would haunt people. He would track projects down to in, in finite detail. If I had to do that, I'd probably you know, shoot myself. But he's brilliant at it. We made an incredible team because... He couldn't do and didn't want to do what I did. And no way in creation was I capable of doing what he did. So again, find the strengths and find the weaknesses. You know, put me in front of an audience. I'm great. As you figure out where we're going, you know, what we need to do going forward and being a futurist, I did pretty damn good at that. Yeah, yeah. Put together in-depth project plans and in-depth project reporting. Oh my God, not me. And the good part, <laughs> part is, in a short period of time, Everyone loved me, and everyone hated him. <laughs> well, as long as you publicly gave him credit, and I'm sure you did, uh, to say, hey, this is a package deal. You know, the success comes with both of us. And he, people knew that when he spoke, he spoke with my voice. Yes. So, I, and the times we didn't always agree, but publicly, if he said it, he was right. Right. Privately, I'd say, Jim, what the hell were you thinking? But he the time. He was spot on. I love hearing that. I think that self-awareness 
that's another thing that that maybe I still some would say maybe I still lack, but I certainly lacked it when I was younger. And the main reason is is I didn't care. I didn't give a damn what other people thought, and I was I, it was just about me. And if you're not ready to explore where you are frail, and if you're not ready to sit and take stock of the one or two or maybe the three things you're great at, if you're not willing to do that, you're not going to go very far as a leader. In fact, you're going to be pretty terrible. I hired best security team in the world at that time. I had people who use the term Bezos today. We invented it. But we also had regional security officers in each of our geographic regions. And all of my, so all of my regional security officers were multilingual. Interesting. So when we went into Latin America, South America, my guy there spoke uh, Spanish and, and to some degree Portuguese. My Asian guy spoke uh, Mandarin and spoke uh, Japanese. Uh, my European guy certainly spoke English and uh, a couple other languages from Europe. So that they were able to explain the problem, the issues, concerns in local language. And it helped a lot. Yeah. Uh, that probably took some time to hire, but once you had that, you are certainly a friendlier message, right? A native tongue. Yep. Uh, and and they probably appreciated and probably saw the effort because you didn't have to do that necessarily. But it helped. Again, you have to look at the issue from the customer's point of view. I want to get on back on the career advice. You talked to me about changing jobs and kind of the seas of job change. And first, why do you run through that? If you're mentoring someone, why did you create these seas before we get into them? To let them know that you are where you are on this great. Ultimately, for a variety of reasons, you may be faced with changing jobs. And here are some things to think about if and when you were looking to change jobs. And believe me, this is not part of a first conversation, but it's a conversation that we wind up having a year, 18 months down the road, two years down the road. And it is the first, I mean, it's five or six C's, so seven. And the first few are put in any order that each or any of them wanted, would like. And it is when you were interviewing, does the job, is the job, Sound, does it sound challenging? Is it something you want to wake up with on a three o'clock on Sunday morning and say, God, I got the solution? <laughs> okay. How committed is the company to getting it done? Uh, what is your chemistry between you and the people you're personally reporting to? What is the culture of the company? Next one is sort of a force fit, and that is commute, and that is, what does your travel look like? The next one is not quite a C, but are you, I'm calling it clarity. Is it clarity as to what success looks like for you and for them? It's only when you get those things taken care of that you come down to compensation. If the others don't work out, I don't care how much the compensation is. After the first three paychecks, that's normal compensation. And, then you, and if you haven't defined the other ones correctly, you're going to hate your job. That's exactly right. You know, compensation can be blinding to a lot of these, a lot of these guys. It's good. It can be really good, crazy, absurd, but that's often blinding, and they skip out on these other elements. Um, 
there's many of them. I, I like all of them. The one I see is the biggest issue, again, from my uh, more junior perspective, is clarity. So definition of success. I don't see that agreed upon and discussed often enough. I had a guy on the show, wonderful guy, that was, um, I said, hey, did you talk about their picture of success for you during the interview? And he said, no. Mm. And he said, I'm, I'm going to add that. <laughs> I'm going to talk about that now. And I found that amazing. It has to. If you don't know what success looks like, there's no way for you going to achieve it. You know, I, hell, I even asked it. I was on a call yesterday and there were some, I was meeting some new people and they were asking my, my advice on something. And it was an hour. And I said, before we spend an hour together, I said, what does a successful meeting with me look like from your perspective? And they all, it was a video call and they all kind of looked at each other, sort of like the, the beginning of uh, Brady Bunch, kind of like looking around, you know, and they finally had an answer. And I was like, good, you know, thank you. And I think we need to add more of that. I think we'd be better probably better friends and, and certainly better professionals if we asked that and made that more part of our day. I guess I've spoken at a number of sales kickoff meetings for which I charge an extraordinarily exorbitant fee. Only because I think I'm providing some generally worthwhile advice. And the topic is why CISLs don't want to meet with you. <laughs> okay. And it is, goodness sake, do your homework. If you, if I'm, I, I, I've done this with a couple of companies where I'm an advisor or on the board, and very clearly my admin, who was in early, because I always try to get to work between six thirty and seven in the morning, and my EA was just superb. Uh, my three EAs at City, two of them are senior vice presidents, one the vice president. They knew that within five to ten minutes of any meeting I had with a with a salesperson to come in and let me know I had a very important phone call. Right. And if the meeting was going well, I would say, can you ask them if it's you know, possible to hold off for a half hour? And if the meeting wasn't going well, it would be, guys, I'm truly sorry. I have to take this call. We'll have to reschedule, which we never did. What do you think the percentage was? See, so you, you give audience to a vendor or to a consultant or whomever. How many of those went the duration, the full duration of, of planned? Early on, almost none. Later on, when the word got out that when you're meeting with this crazy guy, you better be prepared, and you better be able to get your point across and the golden nugget of why you're there in the first three minutes, or he's gonna, you know, the meeting will just be, will end uh, very quickly. So once word got out, the vendors came in really well prepared. <laughs> so well prepared, so they changed their behavior so back to, I guess I'll ask you, so if, if I were a vendor and speaking with you, what was sort of the definition of success that you had for them? Like, what, what were the good meetings like? Like, what, what were some things that they covered that you're like, hey, these guys get it? The first question I want to ask is, what is the business problem you're solving? <laughs> yeah. Nothing more. What's the business problem? And if I got a dumb look, I knew the meeting was going to end as soon as my EA came in. I had people there to take care of the how and understand the how. That's not my skill. I had a, I had the equivalent of a chief technology officer working for me. He was great at tearing stuff apart. He made vendors cry. He was brilliant. NSA background, BBN background, MIT background. Couldn't get anything past him. And I said, okay, you're there. You're here. What is the business problem? Again, what's the so what? 
And if you didn't have a good, so what? This meeting was not going to end well. So if they, if they had that, which I'm, I'm guessing many of them did not, what's some of the supporting information that you liked to see that made you maybe smirk a little bit, maybe smile, uh, that you're, all right, yeah, like they, they get it. They're playing the game. First of all, and I did this to one poor CEO at a conference in a few years back, and I still feel sorry for doing it because I, I rarely, rarely, rarely embarrass anybody. It's just not part of my DNA. And he stood up there and was pontificating, as a lot of founders, CEOs do, about how great everybody was. And he says, does anybody have any, any questions or any thoughts? And I said, here's what I would expect your, your salespeople to do. They need to understand the company, thoroughly understand it, understand the products and services that the, this company offers, understand the risks and issues that this company faces, understand who I am and what my background is, and then we could probably have a fairly productive meeting. And he said, I don't think my salespeople have the time to do that. And I said, you don't have the right to be the CEO of anything. <laughs> oh, how'd that go? <laughs> then what? It's the first and only time I, I've ever done that. But to have somebody running a company who says, my people don't have the time to be prepared to meet with you. We won't say the name of the company, but was this a big company or a little company? A little company. Okay. I was hopeful that it wasn't some very big company. Wow. You said it. It's do your homework. And that's, that assumes, you know, today, not everyone, well, especially today, you know, face-to-face meetings certainly aren't happening and, and will probably be happening less frequently. There's a digital element now uh, more so than face-to-face, which I think changes the meeting. The questions of the products and risks and who you are still apply. But does anything else change now that we're in a more virtual uh, relationship building sales cycle? One thing that I think applies in both situations is be really careful of a live demo. Be really, really careful with that. Because any kind of network issues can screw up your entire presentation. Sure. And I had one company come in. I remember so clearly he's going to do a live demo, and he, he was pretty darn proud of it. And for no fault of his own, connectivity sucked. <laughs> and it was, you know, after about 10 minutes of, gee, I'm sorry, gee, I'm sorry. So look, let's put an end to this. This is not going well at all. And I, uh, I questioned whether we should have any, any further meetings. But it's not me. I said, if it's not you, why'd you show it to me? <laughs> yeah where was your backup so be really really cautious with a live demo well i mean there's places now where you know if you have to display certain things even if you would normally do a live demo certainly in some military applications uh if you're in a skiff there's no connection to anything mm-hmm. right you don't you're not connected to anything you're not your cell phone's not working you don't have it you know so so sometimes you have to tell the story in another way Absolutely, absolutely yeah. You also had some thoughts on that I want to cover before we conclude. You kind of believe that the CISO position might um, evolve or, or kind of erode maybe into some other titles or, or areas of responsibility. Oh, it erodes so much as evolves into. Yeah. Executive leadership 
understands risk. Boards of directors understand risk. They don't care about security, they don't worry about security. So I see the CISO role, and I, again, I was fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time to be the first person with the CISO title, and I can't tell you how proud of that I am. But I see the role bifurcating. You know, maybe there's some people who can do both, but uh, bifurcating into a CIR or Chief Information Risk Officer role and Chief Information Security Technology Officer. And the CIRO will be reported to the Chief Risk Officer or Legal Counsel of the, of the company. And he or she will be defining the what and the why. The Chief Security Technology Officer will be taking care of the how. And then the CIRO would come back in to validate and verify that the how addressed the what's and the why's that he or she put out in the first place. And they speak two different languages. One is the guy who's out there or gals out there who is talking to executive leadership, talking about risk, talking about the impact of, uh, of, you know, any risk issues that would have on the company, potential otherwise would be the, the risk advisor would be the, uh, the person they would talk to about, uh, the information risk and why it's important. And the chief security technology officer would make sure that he or she brought in the best how that is, that is possibly available. Why do you think now is the time potentially for this split? Boards have become increasingly more aware of cyber risk and information risk. And they ask questions. And if you're going to be in there speaking with the board and you're focusing on the how, you will have a chance of significantly eroding your your credibility with them. And it also says that you are not reporting to the CIO. You're at the same level, if not higher, than the CIO. Are you starting to see this any place? Or are is it is it beginning to take shape? Or do you think this is something that's still off a little bit? Very always taking shape. But if we look at it, I hate to mention companies, but there's a gentleman out there who joined a major investment bank as a junior level officer, moved up to, uh, you know, as a CEO of a junior level officer, made vice president, made managing director, became head of uh, technology and risk, and is now on the board of directors of that company. Which is a hell of a run. A, he is brilliant. B, he has an extremely incredible way of explaining technological issues to executive leadership on the board. To me, I think this is a skill craft thing. So A, know yourself, but it's a skill craft. If you fall into the CIRO, you mentioned language, a language issue of, of fitting into that room mm -hmm. and being able to articulate those ideas to the people in that room. I think it's, I'll ask you, do you think it's a, a resource management thing to say, look, there's only so much of me as a person, and I know that I'm either good at the how or the tech, and I want to focus my career on that, still an officer, still important, or I want to be, or I thrive better as a, as a showman, as a marketer, as a translation agent, right? I have this language thing down. Is that it? Is that, I mean, you mentioned the board, so the, the business mover is the board and the board's questions and the motives around it. But is it for the for the plain folks, 
the person who might want to be a CIRO or a CIRTO, is that it? Is it a self-awareness thing? Is it a tradecraft thing to, to, to kind of decide? Comes down to a, you know, what is it, uh, Hamlet? Be true to yourself. Right. Take some time to think about what it is you do and what you like to do. Be as fundamental as simple as make a list. What do you like to do and what is it you don't like to do? Right. I completely agree. Um, Steve, we've covered so much and I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, both of them that we've had. I've had a smile on my face the entire time. You are not only full of knowledge, but uh, you're a joy to listen to. I, I, I can't thank you enough for spending time with us. Well, uh, you. As you can tell from this, I absolutely love what I do. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell, and it served you well. I've got, Steve, I have one more question for you, and we ask it of every guest, tied to the name of the show, which is the new CISO. So to the first CISO, what does being a new CISO mean to you? Uh, the challenge is greater today than it ever has been. And the challenge, and the, uh, the you know, coming in, I would jump with the chance today. I absolutely would. You're dealing with challenges that we've never dealt with before. They're becoming, uh, the, the bad guys are becoming increasingly better than they've ever been before. And the, you now have boards of directors and executive leadership taking a real interest in what these, what I would hope, what the DIRO it would be doing. To be able to get in there and redefine and redirect a program. I would think, you know, I, if I were to come in as a CIRO today, Part of my clarity would be I want to bring in a bunch of really smart data scientists so I can bring data scientists, AI, and ML into the picture so that we can do our job faster, better, and smarter. Yes. And that these are skills that were not quite available then, but God, I would jump in in a heartbeat. I love it. Thanks again for your time. I've really enjoyed uh, the time we spent together. Have a great day, Steve. You too. Take care. That's it for this episode of the new CISO. Thank you for listening. Check out more episodes on exabeam.com forward slash podcast. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe to get brand new episodes first.